Well, today we are in week three of the Bible on trial. The Bible on trial. Today I want to talk to you about understanding the Bible. Understanding the Bible. Now, if you missed last week, it was a crucial message. I gave you five reasons why the Bible can be trusted. I gave evidence for the validity of the Bible. And if you missed it, I want to encourage you to get online. It's really, this is a critical message to listen to. Get online at peopleschurch.tv, watch this message, listen to this message. It will help you out tremendously. And, and some of you will say, well, Pastor, I'm a skeptic. I'm skeptical of the Bible. Well, last week I gave you some resources. Be sure to get those resources that I gave you. If you weren't here last week, if you're skeptical of the Bible, or you, you love the Bible and you just want to go deeper in the Bible, you want to grow more, you want to learn more about how to defend your faith, apologetics, get, go, go to Josh McDowell, look him up, Josh McDowell, you can, and get the book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Powerful book. You can also check out his website, josh.org, josh.org. Also, I would encourage you to check out Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel, the author, and he has a book called The Case for Faith and the case for Christ that will help you learn more about God's Word. Well, let's dive into the Bible on trial, week three. And whenever someone is on trial, you know what's important? It's important for the jury to understand what the trial is all about, what the case is all about. How many of you have ever been on jury duty before. Come on, how many of you? Yeah, yeah. I, I've been on jury duty before as well. And, and so, so a jury is selected when there's a trial, and then evidence is presented to the jury so they can better understand the case. And there's nothing worse than an uninformed jury that doesn't understand the facts of the case, and they're trying to make a decision about a case they don't understand. And when it comes to the Bible, one of the worst places we can find ourselves in is when we don't understand God's Word. You see, when we don't understand something, we have a lot of questions about it. We even can have a lot of concerns about it when we don't understand it. Like, why is the Bible hard to understand? I just don't get it. It doesn't make any sense. It, it doesn't seem relevant. It just seems outdated. People don't understand it. And when you don't understand something, it's hard to love it. It's hard to love something you don't understand. When, when Tiffany and I first got married, I, I loved her, but I didn't understand her. And we've been married almost 20 years, and I'm still growing in my understanding of her. Ladies, you can be hard to understand. And I know you ladies would say, and you men can be hard to understand. Reminds me of a story. There, there was a man walking on the, the beach in California, and he was, as he was walking along the beach, he, he saw a bottle, and he picked it up and rubbed the bottle, and it was a genie bottle, and, and a genie popped out of the bottle, and the genie said to him, I'll give you one wish. Whatever you wish for, I am going to give it to you. And the man said, you know what? I've always wanted to go to Hawaii, but I hate flying. I'm not going to fly. So if you could build a bridge from California all the way to Hawaii so I can go enjoy the Hawaiian Islands, that is what I want. That would be awesome. And the genie looked and said, that's almost impossible. 
I mean, really? A bridge from here to Hawaii? That, that's almost impossible. Do you know how much concrete that would take, how much steel that would take, how much rebar that would take, how much labor that would take? He said, listen, that's almost impossible. You'll have to ask me for something else. And the man said, well, okay, Jeannie, help me understand my wife. He said, well, would you like two lanes or one? Why is it important for us to understand the Bible? Let me talk to you about that. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, how do you practice something you don't understand? And puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock and it's my desire that you would build your life upon God's Word. And a key component for you to be able to do that is, first of all, you have to understand the Bible. So many people just don't understand the Bible. It's a confusing book to so many people. It's confusing. It's complicated. People have questions. I mean, just basic questions about the Bible that just never get answered. And it's hard to build your life on something that you don't understand. And I loved Tiffany 20 years ago. But can I tell you, I've grown in my understanding of her over the last 20 years, and I really love her today because I understand her more, and my love has just grown deeper. And that's my goal for you today. Maybe you don't even love the Bible. Listen, I want you to grow in your understanding so that you'll love the Bible. If you already love the Bible, I want you to grow in your understanding so that you will love the Bible more. I told you, here's my goal for this series. I want you to love it. I want you to learn it. I want you to love it, and I want you to live it. I want you to learn it. I want you to love it, and I want you to live it. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to help you understand your Bible today. Get a pen out, some paper out. I'm going to give you a lot of information today. It's going to help you understand your Bible. I would encourage you to get your phone out. Some of you want to take notes on your phone. I'm going to help you today. Let's begin with this. The word Bible means book. Some of you thought it was something deep. No, book. That's all it means. The, the Greek word for Bible is biblios. There's actually a Greek city called Biblos. And, and they used that to name the Bible, and here's why. That that city was, was the number one importer of papyrus, and that's where we get the word paper that we use today, the word paper. And, and th this city was a, 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 a paper manufacturing city, and so we got the name Bible from this paper manufacturing city, and that's where the Bible derived its name. And, and, and understand something about the Bible. The, the Bible is a book like no other. It's a book like no other. It's the most read book in history. It's the best-selling book in history. It's the most translated book in history. All of time marks itself on the truth of God's Word. It's a book like no other. People can't stop God's Word. They've tried to for centuries. You see, the Bible is the most despised, derided, denied, disputed, dissected, debated, outlawed, and destroyed book ever, and it still endures. It still lives on. It's still changing lives today. Nobody has been able to stop God's Word. Well, the Bible says this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 24 and 25, for all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Ever. And this was the word that's preached to you. The word of the Lord endures forever. You can't stop it. It's God's holy word. You say, Pastor, 
Why are there so many versions of God's holy word, the Bible? There's a lot of versions to choose from. Pastor, which version is the right version of the Bible to read? Well, I know the answer to that. And I'm going to tell you next week. Don't you miss next week. It's going to be good. I'm telling you, don't miss next week's message. It's going to be a powerful teaching. I'm going to talk to you about that, and I'm going to also talk to you just about the power of God's Word. I'm going to wrap up the series next week. Number two is this. Number two is this. It was written by 40 writers. We touched on this last week. It was written by 40 writers over a period of 1,600 years in, a, in over a dozen countries on three continents in three languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. How in the world did that many people over that amount of time in that many different places come up with the exact same thing, the exact same story, the exact same emphasis? How did that happen? I mean, it would make sense if it was written by one person. The Quran, written by one person, Muhammad. The Analects of Confucius, written by one person. The writing of Buddha, written by one person. That, that makes sense. But the Bible was written by over 40 different people over 1,600 years, and the people didn't live by each other, and they had a wide variety of backgrounds. The Bible was written by poets, prophets, princesses, kings, sailors, soldiers, attorneys, doctors, farmers, scholars, shepherds, priests, historians, fishermen, tax collectors, businessmen, and somebody from Wewoka. <laughs> I threw that last part in just just making sure you're paying attention today. That They wrote it in caves, ships, homes, palaces, prisons, and deserts. And the question of the day is how did they come up with the same story? How in the world is the Bible thematically unified with that many writers over that kind of time span? I'll tell you why. It's God's holy word. It's inspired by God. There are 40 writers, but there's only one author. And his name is God. It's his autobiography. It's the story of God moving and working in people's lives. The Bible says it like this in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. All Scripture is God-breathed. It's inspired by God. And it's useful. It'll, it'll, it'll work in your life. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible is God-inspired. Number three is this, the Bible is not written in chronological order. It's not written in chronological order. A lot of people don't know this about the books of the Bible. They are not in chronological order. But now you can go and buy a chronological Bible. Those, those are available. But when you buy just a Bible, it's not in chronological order. So if you, listen, listen, if you start reading the Bible thinking it's in sequential order in regards to its historical timeline, it will have you all confused. That's not how the books are, are, are put together. They're actually grouped by types of books, not chronologically. So, so if you try to read it and you don't understand that part, how it is organized, you won't understand it. And it's hard to build your life on something that you don't understand. I want you to understand it better today. So I'm going to give you an overview of the Old Testament books. Here's how they're grouped. Here's the first. It's first the law. The, the law books. That's Genesis through Deuteronomy. 
So in the Old Testament, the, the first five books are called the law books. And the only reason they're called the law books is because you find the law in, 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 in that, in, within those five books, and, and all five books were written by Moses. And see, in those first five books, you find the story of creation, you find the story of Abraham and Isaac, and you find Joseph, and the story of Moses, the, the parting of the Red Sea, Mount Sinai, and the Ten Commandments. You, you, you also hear these first five books, you hear, you hear this terminology sometimes, the Pentateuch, the Pentateuch. And this is really deep language right here, the Pentateuch, it has a powerful meaning, Pentateuch, it means Five books. That's all it means, five books. It didn't mean anything else. That's it. It means five books. Next are the historical books. Let me tell you how your Bible's organized so you can better understand it. Next are the historical books, Joshua through Esther. And there are 12 historical books describing Israel's history after Moses. This is where Israel goes into the promised land under Joshua's leadership, and the Jericho walls come tumbling well, a few of you know your Bible. Y'all go ahead there. All right. Let me let you know something about the historical books. The books of Esther, Ezra, and Nehemiah are actually at the end of the Old Testament period. But remember, the Bible is not organized in chronological order. So when you read the Bible, you find Esther, Nehemiah, and Ezra actually in the middle of the Old Testament. But if you were reading the Bible as a historical timeline, these books actually are at the end of the Old Testament period. Then there's the po poetical, poetical books. That's Job through Song of Solomon. And there are five poetical books. And, and understand this now, many of them were written in the hi historical section. For, for instance, let me give you an example. So, for instance, like uh, some of the Psalms, a lot of the Psalms, you, you could actually find, you, you, if you were to, if they were to fall in a historical timeline, some of them would actually fall in 1 Samuel. When David was running from Saul, so, so the, the, they fall in the hist history section. There's the prophetical books, the prophetical books. There's I as Isaiah through Malachi, and there are 17 prophetical books. Understand this about the prophetical books, that, that, that they would actually be inserted in the history section. A lot, a, lot of people, a lot of people just don't know that. So you're reading the Bible, and you're like, I don't understand these books here. How does this all work? Well, well they're, they're grouped by type of books. But those, those prophets actually lived during the history section of your Bible. And there are five major prophets, five major prophets, Isaiah through Daniel. And, and they're called major prophets because of the length of the books. That's it. It has nothing to do with the importance of the books, just the length. Then there are 12 minor prophets, Hosea, and it takes you to the end of the book, Malachi. I'm just playing. Some of you are like, oh, it's Malachi. I'm just messing with y'all today, huh? Yeah, you better listen to me. Hosea through Malachi. And the minor prophets are just called minor, has nothing to do with importance, has everything to do with the length of the book. Some of those books are only one or two pages long. So, so they're, they're, they're minor prophets. Let me show you a picture of how your Old Testament is organized. Get your camera out, get your phone out, get a quick picture real quick. That, that's how your Bible is organized. Pentateuch, the poetry and history, prophetic, minor, major, minor prophets. That's how the Bible is organized. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Please, please grab, this is key. After the Old Testament, there's 400 years of silence. 
During this time, the Jews come out of exile back to Jerusalem. You kind of hear some of that story in, in Nehemiah and and historically, then, then there's the Persian invasion, and then the world is conquered by Alexander the Great. Some of you historians know that kind of stuff. Then, then there was the Roman conquest, and Rome, Rome kind of had power and dominated the world. And after 400 years of silence, something all shocking took place. Something incredible took place. God broke 400 years of silence, and he sent his only son, Jesus, born through a virgin named Mary. God knew how to break silence. Jesus was born. And that takes you into your New Testament. Let's look at an overview of the New Testament. That's called the Gospels, the first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The word gospel simply means good news. Jesus has come. The Son of God, the Savior, has come. And those first four books were, you have to understand this, that when the writers give their own account of many of the same stories. Now, maybe when you first start reading the Bible, like, I just read this story over in that last one. Why is it over here? Well, it would be like going to, all of us going to a ball game and watching a ball game and then all of us writing down our account of what we experienced and saw. All of our accounts would be right and accurate, but we would put our own different perspective of what we saw at the ball game. And so the, 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 these writers, many of the same stories show up in the four Gospels, but, but it's, they're all inspired, but they give their own perspective of what they experienced. And, and in, the, in those four Gospels, you find Jesus, is, he's arrested, he's crucified, he, he re- resurrects from the dead, and then he ascends back into heaven. And, and then after the, the Gospels, you have a historical book, historical book. That's the book of Acts. This is where the church is established, and, and we see the historical record of the early church. And at People's Church, we model ourselves after the early church, the New Testament church. We believe the same things that happened back then can still happen today. And then there are the epistles in your Bible, the New Testament. That's Romans through Jude. And there are 21 epistle books. And, and the word epistle, all that word means is letter. And Paul and, and some of the other apostles, they, they were starting churches back then. They, they were church planting and starting churches. And after they would start those churches, then they would write those churches letters. And those letters are, are what we are in our Bible, the, the epistles encouraging and giving instruction to those churches. So you, you, you read those epistles, you get instruction on how to live and doctrine and teach us how to be the church today. And then there's the prophecy book prophecy book, and that's Revelation. That, that's the last book in your Bible. The 66th book is a book on the prophecy of the last days and eternity. And the word revelation in the Greek is apocalypse, and that simply is meaning referring to the end times, the, the last days. Now, understand this. In, in this book, you get a picture of, 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 of what life is going to be like here in the future on the earth. It kind of gives you the picture of the last days and also gives you a picture of eternity, of eternal life. And this book was written by John, John the Revelator. John, because of his faith in Christ, was put on an island in solitary confinement. He was in punishment for his faith for Christ. And while he was on this island, he got this revelation from Jesus Christ about the end times. And the book of Revelation, it it can be a difficult book 
to understand. Let me show you a picture of how your Old Testament is grouped. That's how gospels, history, letters, or the epistles, and then a prophetic book, Revelation, about the end times, about, about the last days, about eternity. Now, now here's what I want to do. You've been a good class today. You're like, man, I feel like I'm in seminary today. My Lord, Jesus. Oh, Lord. I want to help you today. I really want you to understand your Bible. You can learn it, love it, and live it. Here's what I want to do. I want to quickly give you a picture of the whole Bible. I want to, I'm going to give you, you're going to be able to explain your Bible in three minutes to people. What is the Bible all about? I, I'm going to give you a picture called the mirror image, the mirror image. Number one is this, God and righteous man in paradise. God and righteous man in paradise. You find this Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Genesis 1 and 2, God and righteous man in paradise. The, the whole story of Genesis it begins in Genesis chapter 1 with God and righteous man in paradise. God made Adam and Eve, and they were completely perfect. They had no shame. They had no guilt. They had complete fellowship, perfect fellowship with God. Even the garden they lived in was perfect. And friends, this is how God always intended it. This is God's dream for humanity. He wants us to have open and unbroken fellowship with Him. He wants us to enjoy His creation. That's His plan. But what happens is Satan and sin enter. Satan and sin enter. You see this in Genesis chapter 3 through 5, chapter 3 through 5. In Genesis chapter 3, Satan and sin enter the picture. And, and sin separates mankind from God. This is a good way for you to remember sin and how it works. Simply like this, sin separates. Sin separates. Sin makes us unholy. God is holy. Unholiness cannot enter God's presence. So, sin separates. And if you're going to understand your Bible, if you're going to understand your Old Testament and the Bible, you have to understand this. Sin entered our world, and distance between us and God was created. And some of you feel that distance today. There's a gap between you and God. For some of you, it's huge. It's massive. That's what sin does. It separates. And we've all sinned. We've all blown it. And friends, if you've never had this, that sin reconciled, if you've never had that sin dealt with, you know what happens? You feel distance with God. You know what sin leads to? It leads to chaos. The fruit of sin is chaos. I don't have to tell you that we've all experienced it in our own lives. When you live in sin, man, your life starts to get all messed up. And that's what happened back then in the Bible. They were living in sin. There was distance between them and God. And then all of a sudden, chaos throughout the earth. And God decided to start all over again. But Lisa, the next thing that happens in the Bible, the world was judged and destroyed. 
judged and destroyed. Genesis chapter six, chapter six through chapter nine. You read in this in this right here. You read about how God judged the world and destroyed the world through a flood. That that's the story of Noah. God looks down, He sees chaos, and He chooses. He finds a righteous man, and He destroys the world, and then He repopulates the entire earth through one man and his family named Noah. We all came from Noah. All of us. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, hey, kinfolk. Go ahead and tell me, hey, kinfolk. Hey, hey there, hey. We all came from Noah. But after mankind repopulated the earth, you know what happened? They went right back to their old ways of sin. Chaos came right back. And then we find number four, one world government system. A one world government system. You find this in Genesis chapter 10 through, through 11. Mankind tried to get their lives right with God by, by trying to come together and build this tower to God called the Tower of Babel. They thought, listen, since we can't get it right with God, we're going to overtake God. And so they literally had built this one world government system. Same language, same goal, but it didn't work. God came in and he confused the languages, and that's when nations were born. Then God stepped in and he created a system. This is you. Don't, don't miss this. Don't miss this. He created a system. He, he created order by choosing a group of people called Israel. That's what he did. He, cho- he chose a group of people and he created the 12 tribes of Israel. 12 tribes of Israel, God's holy people. In Genesis chapter 12, all the way through Malachi, you find the story about the Israelites. God picked a group of people, and he put in order. He put in a system with the hope of influencing the rest of the world. The, the Israel was, was God's holy people. And the rest of your Old Testament, don't miss this, the rest of your Old Testament is, is talking about how God was, was putting in a system with Israel, how God was working with Israel. God sent the, the laws. He put this system in. He, he sent instructions. He sent sacrifices. He sent kings. He sent judges, but none of it worked. Here's why. Because the law is external. Now, if you're going to understand your Bible, this is critical. The law is external. You see, up until this point, it was all about the external. They had the law in their head, but it wasn't in their heart. They tried to obey God because they had to, but they could not because they didn't want to. So, so here's a simple way for you to understand your Old Testament and your New Testament. The Old Testament is all about the external. The New Testament is all about the internal. Old Testament, laws, sacrifice, external. New Testament is all about the internal. And understand this, God's ultimate plan all along was always the New Testament, was always the internal. God used the, the, the laws and sacrifices and kings and judges to show us that we can't stay close to God on our own. We can't stay close to God through the external. So God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, the hope of the world, and said, I hope y'all get it by now. You can't, sir, you can't live for me by the law. It's going to take Jesus. And now we slip into the New Testament. Now, here's where you're going to start seeing the mirror image, the New Testament. So, there's the 12 disciples, the church. Check this out. See the mirror image? God selected 12 tribes of Israel, God's holy people. Then Jesus came. Then he selected 12 disciples, the church. 
And God did something brand new in the New Testament. He started a new covenant through Jesus. You can read about this new covenant on your own. Look at Hebrews chapter 8. Towards the end of that chapter, it talks about this new covenant, how it's not going to be external but internal. The laws of God won't be in your head, but they'll actually be in your heart. And so he sent Jesus, and he died on the cross for our sins. He rose again on the third day. He went back into heaven, and then Jesus sent back the Holy Spirit who lives now inside of every single Christian. And now living for God is not external, it's internal. You don't have to live for God because you have to, but now you'll want to because the Holy Spirit will produce the fruit in your life. And you see Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and and Jesus chose these 12 disciples. And then the book of Acts, they become the church of Jesus Christ, the people of God. And that's where we are in history right now. When you look in the Bible, that's where we are. God's now working internal. God is putting His laws in people's hearts. God is still saving people, and, and people are coming to Christ. And this is where we are in history. But, but when you look at this mirror image, let me explain your Bible. Here's what's, here's what's to come. A one-world government system. You see this in Revelation 6 through chapter 19. So, so many scholars believe that the, in the book of Revelation, it says, during the end times before Jesus comes, there will be a one-world government system. The Antichrist will institute a buying and selling system. It's called the mark of the beast. And scholars believe that, some, many scholars believe that, that people are going to have to take a mark on their, in their hand or on their head to buy and sell. People got to go to Walmart and pay, boop. Boop, boop. And many scholars believe as this unfolds, God's going to bring His church to heaven and judge and destroy the world. And then then you'll notice the world judged and destroyed, Revelation 6 through chapter 19. So you you see the mirror image, the world judged and destroyed back with Noah, and now Jesus Christ, the world judged and destroyed. But this time, God's not going to destroy the world through a through water, through a flood, like, like the days of Noah. This time it's going to be through fire, a purification of the world. And then the next thing you see is Satan and sin exit, Revelation chapter 20. We saw first Satan and sin enter in Genesis, and now you see Satan and sin exit, the mirror image. God is going to bind up that old dragon, that old serpent, that old nasty devil, and he's going to throw him into the lake of fire, and Satan and sin are going to exit. Come on, somebody say, thank you, Jesus. That old crazy devil. And then, and then next, is God and redeemed man in paradise. So, so the, I want you to notice the, the, the mirror image. It was God and righteous man in paradise. That's back in Genesis chapter 1. Now it's God and redeemed, Jesus redeemed man in paradise. Now, now let me show you just a, a full picture of this, this mirror image that I've been teaching you about today. See, the Old Testament and then what happens in the New Testament because of Jesus Christ, the 12 tribes, now the 12 disciples, one world, not one world. You kind of see, see it all come together. That, that's just your Bible at a quick glance. And every follower of Jesus is going to spend eternity with God in heaven. God and redeemed, not righteous, God and redeemed man back in paradise together. It's going to be paradise. That, that, that's, that, 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 that's one of the words for heaven you see in the Bible, paradise. Folks, Heaven is not going to be a retirement home where you sing in the choir and play the harp all day every day. That's not heaven. 
is paradise. And, and the closest word that we can find in the Greek or in the he, Greek or Hebrew language for this word paradise for our language would be the word resort. Come on, somebody. You ever been to a resort? It's going to be wonderful. I know you might have been to a resort, but you've never been to one where the streets are made out of gold, somebody. Come on. Oh, yeah. Heaven. It's going to be an amazing place. So many people have this bad idea of heaven. You know, they call, well, we're going to go to the afterlife. Like you're really living life now. You know, just the afterlife. No, no, no. This is just before life. Heaven's real life. All eternity in God's presence. That's real life. And let me tell you why, why heaven's going to be so awesome. Because we're going to be with Jesus. We're going to see him face to face. We're going to live with him forever in his presence. Friends, can I tell you, it's all about Jesus. Your whole Bible is all about Jesus. The entire Bible is about Jesus. The Old Testament is about Jesus. The New Testament is about Jesus. The subject, the subject of your whole Bible is Jesus. Humanity is the object, but Jesus is the subject. You can find Jesus in every book of your Bible. He's there. He's there in every book. As a matter of fact, let me give you a resource. A lady named Henrietta Mears, who served under Dr. Billy Graham, wrote a book called What the Bible is All About. Henrietta Mears, What the Bible is All About. It's, it's an awesome book. And she explains Jesus in every book in the Bible. He's in every book. He was that fourth man in that fiery furnace with Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. That, that was Jesus. He's in the Psalms. You see Jesus there. Friends, over 300 Old Testament prophecies are about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Here's what he said. Jesus said in John 5 and verse 39, You study the Scriptures diligently because you think in them you have eternal life. These are the very Scriptures that testify about me. When Jesus said this, there was no New Testament. It didn't exist. So he's saying, you search the Old Testament because you think they give you eternal life. But he says, those Old Testament Scriptures just point to me. It's about me. The Old and the New Testament is all about Jesus. When you read your Bible, look for Jesus. He's there. It's all about Jesus. He's the one that came and He died. He's the one that paid the price for our sins. He's the one that closed the gap so that our distance wouldn't keep us separated from a loving God. Jesus paid the price. Can I tell you today, you don't have to pay the price for your sin. Jesus already did. Hell is not a place where God sends people He's mad at. Hell is a place where people choose to go pay for their own sin. They reject a loving God. And his son Jesus said, I don't want that. I just, I'll, I'll pay my, my own price for my sin. And Jesus said, you don't have to do that. I've already paid the price for you on the cross of Calvary. I hung, I bled, I died for you. I rose again. Put your faith in me. I've already paid for your sin. And not just that. He said, I paid for your sin. And then I send back my Holy Spirit. And you give me your life. I'll put my spirit inside of you. You don't have to live for me because you have to. My laws won't just be in your head. They'll be in your heart. You'll live for me because you want to. 
not just because you have to. It's the gospel. It's the good news. Jesus came. And there's a new covenant.